Let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to give us his wisdom as we read his word. Let's pray. Almighty God, our loving Father, we thank and praise you for the teacher and for the wisdom that he spoke. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we might understand what his wisdom is and put it into practice in our lives as Christians in the light of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, decisions, decisions. Our life is full of decisions. As a child, it might be something as uh, vitally serious as what do I want for Christmas? As you grow up, it, it goes on. What subjects do I do at school? Uh, should I go to uni? What job do I get? Should I marry? Who should I marry? Where will I live? Should I buy a house? How many children will we have? What school will they go to? What will I do for my midlife crisis? What shall I do in my retirement? Should I stay in my house until I can't move anymore? Should I go into a retirement village? Should I get a prepaid funeral package or should I let my family sort me out? Uh, right through life, we have decisions to make. And even each day has its decisions. From what time you get up through what to wear and what to eat until what time to go to bed again. It's decisions, decisions, decisions. Now, some people make foolish decisions. They'll get a job that they hate because the money's good. They'll buy a house they can't afford. They'll marry because they got, uh, because they got pregnant or because they were drunk and saw an Elvis impersonator marriage celebrant. Um, some people are, are, are rash with their decisions, foolish about their decisions. But, but I suspect for most of us it's the opposite. For most of us, I think, we agonise over our decisions, particularly the ones that we perceive as important. We, we are terrified that we'll make the wrong decision. We go through every possible scenario, every possible permutation of every possible scenario a thousand times over. We, we think about every conceivable thing that could go wrong. We, we read everything that we can get our hands on. We worry about it. We stress about it. And we just can't make up our minds. We, we can't get around to making a decision. We procrastinate. At university, I was a terrible procrastinator. Nowadays, I never seem to get around to procrastinating anymore, but, uh, but, but back then I was, I was hopeless. Uh, at one point, I saw in the library, I discovered the library in fourth year, which is where I met Carmelina, and uh, in the library there, uh, she'd been there all along, but it uh, wasn't until fourth year. Uh, in the library, I saw a book there called Overcoming Procrastination. Eventually, a few months down the track, I got around to borrowing it. Uh, I never got around to reading it, though, unfortunately. And then I, I didn't get around to returning it until weeks late. The funny thing was it took the university more than a year to finally get around to sending me a fine. So, uh, decisions. Life's full of them. So how do you go? How do you go as a decider? Are you, are you a rash decider? Impulsive? Do you make decisions that you regret? Or are you a procrastinator? Do you spend your life stressing and worrying about decisions? In our studies in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're up to this longish section from uh, chapter 9 through to chapter 11. And what the teacher is doing in this section, he's reflecting on wisdom and foolishness. Just reflections on wisdom and foolishness. But then what he does when we come to chapter 11 is he applies what he's discovered about wisdom to the issue of decision making. So the reflections on wisdom. The teacher starts off with an example of wisdom that he's seen. A strong king comes and lays siege to a city. 
Uh, but a wise man rescues the city by his wisdom. We don't know how, but somehow he wisely rescued the city. And so the teacher says, wisdom's good. Wisdom is good. We should listen to wisdom. It's better for you than, than a sword. Better for saving you than a sword. But the problem is, the problem is no one remembered the wise man. He saved the city, but he was soon forgotten. He, he didn't get any benefit from his wisdom. And so... The teacher says, even though wisdom is good, he says, it doesn't necessarily do anyone any good. Some idiot can easily ruin all the good done by wisdom. You can have a, a multi-billion dollar computer system set up wisely. It just takes one fool to press the wrong button and the whole thing crashes. Ecclesiastes <laughs> chapter 9 and verse 13. I'm saying nothing about church at all. <laughs> and I just realized I shouldn't have said anything at all. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 13. We've got an ex expert on the computer in here who was doing his very best to fix whatever the bug was that had come from nowhere at all. <coughs> Far out. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 13. So uh, wisdom is good, good for saving you, but very easily messed up. Okay. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it. A powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now, there lived in that city a man, poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but, but one sinner destroys much good. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honour. The teacher then talks about the difference that wisdom can make. He says, wisdom, folly, they can lead you in two very different directions. Verse 2, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. He's not talking about politics here. He just means that wisdom takes you in very different direction to, to folly. The teacher then says that the fool, he shows up his stupidity. Verse 3, even as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense and shows everyone how stupid he is. He says, verse 4, wisdom can save you from trouble. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great errors to rest. Wisdom's good. Folly is bad. But the thing is, in this world, wisdom isn't always rewarded. Folly isn't always punished. Fools, they often seem to do very, very well. Thank you very much. Verse 5. There's an evil I've seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I've seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. teacher goes on to talk about the future. He says you can't know the future. No, doesn't matter how wise you are, doesn't matter what wise things you do, you can't know what's going to happen. You, you can dig a pit, good idea, but you might fall into it. Uh, you can break through a wall, great idea, but you could get bitten. You can quarry stones, good idea, you could get chopped. You can split logs, good, you could get chopped. You, you don't know what's going to happen. You can do something wise, but you don't know the future, and so wisdom cannot guarantee your future. Verse 8. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. 
Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. Now, verse 10 again, the teacher reminds us, wisdom's good. It can help you. A wise person, they'll keep the axe sharp. It'll make their work easier, verse 10. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Wisdom's good. But again, you don't know what's going to happen. You, you can buy a snake. You think you're in business as a snake charmer. But you can get bitten before it even starts. Verse 11. If a snake bites before it is charmed, there's no profit for the charmer. You see how he's reflecting. Wisdom, folly. Uh, the teacher goes on to give more contrasts between wisdom and folly. He says fools talk too much. And the amount they talk is in inverse proportion to the amount that they know. Verse 12. Words from a wise man's mouth are gracious, but a fool is consumed by his own lips. At the beginning his words are folly, at the end they are wicked madness, and the fool multiplies words. Folly is bad, but even still, it doesn't matter how wise you are, you can't know the future. Halfway through verse 14. No one knows what is coming. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell him what will happen after him? Verse 15, the teacher says again, folly is bad. Fools don't know where they're going. Verse 15, a fool's work wearies him. He does not know the way to town. Again, reflections on wisdom and folly. The last section of chapter 10, the teacher sets up a scenario. He's comparing two countries. Now, one of them has foolish rulers who are not equipped to rule, who are more interested in, in feasting than in serving. Uh, the other one has wise rulers, rulers who, are, who are well equipped, who are, who are moderate and the teacher says it makes a difference. Way better to have wise rulers than foolish rulers. Verse 16. Woe to you, O land, whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Way better for a country to have wise rulers. So... The thing is, though, what's the wise person going to do about that? What's the wise person going to do about foolish rulers? In the next verses, the teacher gives a couple of wise proverbs. Proverbs that show what a wise critic could teach a foolish ruler. First, the wise man could teach the foolish ruler that if you're lazy, your house falls apart. If you don't look after your kingdom, it'll collapse. If you spend your time trekking the world and ignoring your country, verse 18... If a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. Okay, a wise proverb. Secondly, a wise man will tell you that money is a valuable resource. If you're a ruler, remember that money is the answer for everything. You need to invest it wisely in your kingdom. Don't waste it on selfish parties. Verse 19. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry, but money's the answer for everything. The wise critic knows what the foolish ruler should do. But the thing is, the wise person also knows that wisdom is not always appreciated. Now, wisdom is not always rewarded. Now, foolish kings, they don't necessarily like being given wise counsel. Now, foolish kings, they may even have a habit of executing wise men who aren't wise enough to keep their mouths shut. And so what will the wise person do? Well, they'll keep their wisdom to themselves. Verse 20. 
Do not revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird of the air may carry your words and a bird on the wing may report what you say. All right, can you see what that section was about? It's this series of, uh, of reflections on wisdom and on folly, not necessarily, I don't think, in any particular specific order. It's just kind of wise reflections, wisdom, folly. But the point of it, though, is this. Really, two points. Firstly, wisdom is better than folly. But second, wisdom is limited. You can't know the future by wisdom. Wisdom is so easily ruined. Wisdom is not necessarily rewarded. Wisdom is better than folly. It'll beat folly over the 100-yard dash. Okay, but wisdom is limited. It won't take you the marathon. All right? Better than folly, but limited. Okay. Well, now in chapter 11, what the teacher does, he applies what he's been talking about, and he applies it to the issue of decision-making. So verse 1, he says, you can't know the future. Wisdom is limited in that sense. You don't know what disasters may be coming. So he says, just get out and do business. Now, be wise about it. Wisdom's better than folly. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Have contingency plans. But you've got to get out and do it. Chapter 11 and verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you'll find it again. Give portions to seven, yes, to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. The teacher says, most stuff in this world is out of our control. doesn't matter how wise you are, it'll rain where it rains. If a tree falls, it'll lie there. Nothing you can do about it. No control. Verse 3. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it'll lie. No matter how wise we are, we don't know what's going to happen in the future and we can't control what's going to happen in the future. And so, so here's the rub. If you're the sort of person who thinks that you have to cover every possible contingency before you can make a decision, you're never going to decide anything. You'll never do anything. If you wait for the perfect, perfect, perfect time to plant, you'll never plant because you don't know what the wind's going to do. If you wait for the perfect, perfect, perfect time to reap, you'll never reap because you don't know if it's going to rain or not. Verse 4. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. And the teacher says again, you can't know the future. It doesn't matter how wise you are, you don't know what God has in store. Verse 5. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. And so the teacher gives his advice again. He says, basically, get in and have a go. Sow your seed. Be wise about it. Have a contingency plan. Do some night work as well. But the fact is, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what is going to succeed. So don't die wondering. Don't, don't procrastinate. Get in and do it. Make your decision. Verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning. And at evening let not your hands be idle. For you don't, do not know which will succeed. Whether this or that. Or whether both will do equally well. Do you see the point the teacher's making? You can be 
You can be so wise about decisions that you end up being a fool. You can spend your life stressing about every possible contingency. You can worry, you can procrastinate. But there comes a point where your wisdom cannot help you. It doesn't do you any good. The future is beyond your wisdom to look out. You don't know what the future holds. There comes a point where the wise person will just say, alley-oop, dive in, make your decision. Uh, the teacher finishes off this section by, uh, by reminding us of what he's been telling us right through the book. And this just adds to what he's been saying. He says, life is hevel. Life is like a breath, fleeting, insubstantial. Life is short. All right? Here one second, gone the next. Meaningless, the NIV translates it. We've only got, he says, a few short years out in the sunlight and we're going to be a long time dead in the darkness. And so he says, we may as well enjoy the short life, the short time we have. Verse 7. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless, hevel, fleeting, short. Life is short. And in that context, in the context here, what I think that reminds us is that life is too short to spend your time agonising over decisions. Too short to spend your time stressing. Too short to spend your time procrastinating. And so the point again, get on with it. Stop stressing. Make your decision and enjoy your short life while it lasts. Okay, can you see how the teacher has applied what he learned about wisdom to this issue of decision making? First, wisdom is better than folly. How does that apply to decision making? Make a wise decision. Use your head. Okay, do your research, make a contingency plan. But then second, wisdom is limited. We've got to recognise its limitations. It can't guarantee the future, it can't guarantee reward. And so there comes a point in terms of decision making where you need to stop thinking and start acting. Stop procrastinating and do something. All right. Let's then think for a little while about how this applies to us as Christians. As Christians, God has revealed one vital aspect of the future to us. He has revealed his great plan. His plan to make Jesus the king of everything and everyone. That is the future. That is a future that is sure and certain. And in light of that future, we Christians, well, all people really, have one big decision to make, a decision that really is a no-brainer. In the light of the future that we do know from God, we need to put our trust in Jesus. We need to rely on him as king and saviour. We need to become part of his kingdom because that is the future. The thing is, once you've made that big decision, God then makes you a great promise. Now, I've put it on your outline there. The Bible says, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. God loves us. He showed it by giving Jesus to die for us. God, God controls the future. He's shown that by raising Jesus from the dead. God promises us if we rely on Jesus, he will work in all things for our good. And so, and so if, we've, we've, if we've made that one big decision, that decision to rely on Jesus, then it seems to me that the wisdom of the teacher is very much confirmed for us. We ought to make wise decisions 
but we don't have to spend our lives stressing about our decisions. Our wisdom still cannot know or control the future and as Christians we have confidence that even though we don't know the future, we know the one who holds the future and we have his promise that he is at work for our good, in our good decisions and even in our stupid decisions. So friends, the teacher's wisdom is still good wisdom for us. It can help us. It can help us if we are rash deciders. Uh, the fact is, folly is folly. Folly will lead you to a very different place than wisdom. If you make stupid, rash decisions, expect them to backfire on you. Uh, if you invest your money in poker machines, expect to not get a terribly good return. It's taxation on stupidity, I think is what the, the government calls it. Um, if you marry someone because you're drunk and you like the Elvis impersonator marriage celebrant, uh, don't be surprised if your marriage has some difficulties in the future. Uh, if you got into IT for the money, even though you hate computers, don't be surprised if you're miserable. Uh, if you took on the home loan because you liked the, uh, the, the man in the koala suit on the TV ad, uh, don't be surprised if somebody who did their research is getting a better deal than you. Uh, foolish decisions are foolish. And our foolish decisions will not always backfire. You could be lucky. And God will still love you. And God will still work for your good. But generally speaking, I think what the teacher says is right. You're better off slowing down. You're better off thinking before you act. You're better off getting good advice. You're better off checking out a few options. You're better off preparing some contingency plans. You're better off... Looking before you leap, as the saying goes. Wisdom is better than folly. So when you're making a decision, use your head. Okay. But wisdom still has its limits. Doesn't matter how much research you do, you can't know what's going to happen in the future. T take marriage. Uh, you can do a full criminal record search on your girlfriend. Okay. You can check out her family history back ten generations. You can conduct full 360-degree interviews with everyone who knows her. Uh, you can go through all her school reports. You can go through her university reports. You can interview her parents. You can, you can get her human genome tested for future possible diseases. You can do a comparative analysis of how she compares as a wife with a control group of other women. You can put her through cooking classes. You can get her to sign a prenuptial agreement. But for all your research, you cannot guarantee the future. If she's got the slightest bit of sense, while you're spending five years procrastinating and researching, she'll go and find someone else. And, and if you do manage to get hold of her, after ten years of being married to a control freak like you, she'll be insane anyway. <laughs> you, you can't know the future. You can't control the future. And life is too short to spend stressing over decisions. So there comes a point where you need to stop stressing Get on your knee and propose. This applies to so many of the decisions that we spend our lives agonising about. Uh, I remember doing the research to get our little um, home loan. Agonised for months and months. I got Alan McCauley. Alan McCauley is a legend. Uh, don't, uh, don't tell him that I've told you this. But he very helpfully did... I've already told him. Uh, uh, he very helpfully did a comparative spreadsheet for me of every current home lender... Okay, he'd taken into account interest rates, fees, charges, introductory rates. Uh, he'd factored them all into an equation and he'd rated in a spreadsheet the different deals over a three and then a five year period. It was 
a work of art, let me tell you. Uh, I then got a mortgage broker advise, to advise me. All he said was, far out, this bloke does more work than I ever do. Um, <clears throat> I also spoke to my superannuation people. On it went for months and months, I agonised. Until finally I had worked out the best possible deal on the Earth, on Mars, in the entire universe. I got the loan approved. Uh, the only problem was, after the six-week settlement period, the interest rate had completely changed anyway. Uh, by the time the loan came through, I've got no idea if it was the best deal even in Chatsworth, let alone anywhere else. It doesn't matter how wise you are, you can't control the future. And the fact is, as Robbie Burns so eloquently put it, please excuse my Scottish, the best laid plans of mice and men gang oft aglay. Yeah, the best laid plans of mice and men gang oft aglay. Sometimes, as the saying goes, he who hesitates is lost. So friends, do you see the wisdom of the teacher? There's wisdom to be listened to, isn't it? Life is short. Too short to spend stressing about decisions. So do your research and then jump in. Don't, don't procrastinate, don't stress. Instead, let's trust in the God who loves us, who's given his son to die for us, who holds our future in his hands and who is at, at work in all things for our good. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you because you do control the future. Now we thank you that uh, we're not robots, but you give us opportunity to exercise wisdom. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you will help us to be people who make wise decisions. We pray also that we might be people who recognise the limitations of wisdom, who entrust ourselves to you, and who are willing to make decisions without stressing and procrastinating, trusting that you are good and, uh, and trusting that you will be at work in all things for our good. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we might be people who recognise the shortness of our lives and who do take the teacher's wisdom on board and enjoy the short life that you give us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.